It's cold out. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Surprise, it's cold. Uh, I'm super excited to, uh, to share and to talk. We are going through the entire month a proverb a day. There's a reading plan for it. Today, uh, we're going through Proverbs chapter 3, and it's exciting. Proverbs is a, is a challenging book, not that it's, it, it's super difficult to understand, but it challenges us as we go through it. And depending on your familiarity with Proverbs, uh, what, what is a proverb might be the first thing that comes to mind. And it is a, it's a short saying with a universal truth for day-to-day life and godly living. So it applies to our daily life, but it also applies to our spiritual life. And it has principles that can be broadly applied. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to like control this and point this. And it hates me. Uh, it does not want to cooperate. For those of you at home, it might be working for you. Uh, Janine, I'm going to turn this off and I'll let you take, take over because uh, it doesn't want to work. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for proverb, it can also be used um, to be like. And you'll see a lot of comparisons uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, the, the phrases to be like. And if you do this, it can be like that. But it's, it's a comparison piece. It's not a guarantee book. You say, oh, wow, I read this, and if I, if I just follow these biblical principles, everything will f- just line in place. And unfortunately, because we live in a sinful world, that's not always the case. But it does provide guidelines and principles and comparisons for us. There's also a lot of repetition. You might be reading something in one chapter, and then a couple chapters later, you say, I, I think I covered this already. There is a lot of repetition and Hebrews, or not Hebrews, Proverbs is good and about going through and repeating uh, those principles as well. There's multiple authors. You've got Solomon, who is the primary author of Proverbs. It's either written by him or it's sourced by Solomon. Solomon is, is gathering all of this wisdom, all of this information along the way, and, and he's either the writer or he's sourcing it. There's also two other people, Lemur and Agur. Wonderful names. Name your children that. Uh, name somebody else's child that. Um, that there are. We don't really know anything about them, uh, but they also are credited uh, with principles. Proverbs. You say, why should I care? Why should I care what's going on in Proverbs? Proverbs one seven lays it out that if we are going to pursue. Uh, knowledge. If we are going to pursue God, that is the beginning. That is the beginning point. Proverbs 1 7 lays it out. If we want to grow closer to God, if we want to grow closer in knowledge and in wisdom, those two have to go hand in hand. And in anything from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is God's Word. And if we want to get to know God better, we should be students. You know, the word disciple, lifelong learners, we should be students of God's Word. The more we know God, the more we apply His Word, the better it gets. It says we should be taking our life and living it in light of what we know about God. When we, uh, this, this thing is so cold, it won't work. Uh, we live life in light of what we know about God. The next is Proverbs can be hard to understand. 
And you might be looking at it and say, man, I jumped in in day one, I jumped in in day two, but there are some things that are difficult to understand. And we have the Holy Spirit. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to guide and direct. It says, who knows the mind but the Spirit? And who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God? As you're reading through the book of Proverbs, Allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you, direct you, and guide you. He has the, the responsibility of illumination, shining light and applying it to our lives. You might even notice and say, oh man, I read this verse over and over and over again. And for some reason right now, it really speaks to me or it really encourages me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of references there that you can look as... Um, the replay, or you can write them down, but the Holy Spirit's job is to take what is frustrating, what is difficult to understand, and apply it to your day-to-day life. And even as you're reading through the book of Proverbs this month, or anything that you're reading in the Bible, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. Holy Spirit, what, what should I be taking from this? What do I need to change? What do I need to continue? What do you have for me? And the Holy Spirit is faithful, and He will bring that to mind. We're going to look at a a couple different sections in Proverbs chapter 3, and we are going to move quickly, Um, partly because I put too much down, so we're going to move really quickly. Uh, But the first section is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. A couple verses that you're going to encounter today, Proverbs 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. One, those verses are principles. It's not a guarantee that if I give this to God, all of a sudden He's going to give me back times seven or some mathematical, you know, miraculous number. It's a principle. That God does reward our faithfulness. That He does reward our giving. And the word honor there that's highlighted, it's actually the ceremonial word. It goes back to the idea of the tabernacle or the temple. That if we go in and we offer um, a dove or we offer a grain offering or something like that that is referenced in the Old Testament, that's the word that is used there as a ceremonial act of worship. When, when we give to somebody or when we give to church or when we're generous with someone and we say, God, this is an act of worship. God, I, I, I'm trusting you and I'm honoring you and I'm glorifying you in this gift. And that's the idea there. The other word that's highlighted is first fruit. The idea of God, I am giving you the first. I am giving you the best because I trust you. Because this is all yours. You are allowing me to be a temporary steward. And I am giving this as the first fruit. Now, I'm not waiting to say, okay, God, all the bills have been paid and, and uh, you know, everything else. And, you know, I was able to, he's saying, uh, right up front. I say, man, that's, that's hard. That's difficult. But when we trust God and say, God, I, I believe that you can replace I believe that you can multiply. I I believe that you are a good God and a giving God. And and out of this act of worship, I'm giving the first fruit. And the other word that's highlighted is is new wine. And we would look, and and so many times we think of like, okay, we got a barrel and we throw some grapes in it and we jump on it. And um, 
Recently, there was an archaeology discovery of a, of a very large wine press. And it was, a, it was this flat area with a square that was about 12 inches deep. And then uh, it went down a hill, and that's how the, the wine would be drained through. And then it would be gathered in this pool below. And it was made of like cement or rock. So these great bunches would be thrown in there, and as they hit the ground, they would burst open, and as more grapes would be thrown on top, the weight of the ones on top would break the ones at the bottom. And the idea of new wine is there's no, there's no seeds, there's no peel, there's no stems. It's just the pressure of the juice. And the new wine that's referenced is, is it was sweeter. It was, it was all juice. We say, God, I trust you. I, I worship you. I honor you. And I believe that you will give back. And God, you're giving God. And the principle is we worship God through giving as an imitator of our giving God. God gives us breath. He gives us life. He gives us absolutely everything. And when we give, we're being an imitator. We're reflecting God's nature. And it's a beautiful privilege that we have. The next one is Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. And you'll encounter this. Today is the third. We're going to be reading Proverbs 3. And in verse 13 to 18, it starts right off the beginning. Blessed. We say, okay, I, how are you today? I'm blessed. And we look at that word and we say, man, I would love to be blessed. How do I become Bless. How does God bless me? He says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And it's not just looking around. Where is it? I'd like to find some wisdom. It goes back to the New Testament idea of the woman who loses the coin, tears the house apart, flips the furniture over, peels the paint off, looks in the walls. Where can I find it? So we want to have a blessed life. We've got to pursue wisdom in that same idea. And it's interesting that Proverbs says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Solomon says, life, the good life, comes from a relationship with God. The good life comes from an understanding of God, a close relationship with God. When we look at the book of Ecclesiastes of Solomon straying from that, of saying, man, I pursued <laughs> absolutely everything and if I had just stuck with that conversation with God God give me wisdom I would have had the blessed life I would have had the good life he says blessed is the one who finds wisdom the one who gets understanding for the gain of her is better than gain of silver and her profit better than gold Gold was so common in Solomon's kingdom. Silver was so common in Solomon's kingdom. And he says, man, if I could do it all over again, I would just want to have wisdom. That is the good life. And how do we get that? Quick repentance. Quick drawing to God. That's why we've been having these sticky notes on our, our note card. God, I've got to repent quickly. I've got to confess quickly. I've got to draw near to you quickly. That is the blessed life. A quick, close relationship with God. I've got to, I've got to highlight this in, in the next slide of Proverbs 13 to 18. God in His wisdom takes the word wisdom and applies it 
in the feminine. And he says, her, her, she, she, her, all through there. He says, uh, her prophet, she is more precious. It's in her right hand, her left hand, her ways. She is a tree of life. It's interesting that so many times the, the Bible, Christianity, God gets the, the reputation as being anti-woman or, or pushing women down. And, and he takes this and he says, I am elevating wisdom so highly. And yes, grammatically, it is a feminine word. But it's so much more than that. Where, where God in his wisdom takes the time and says, I want to emphasize what I've created. God says, I've created men, and I've created women, and I created them good, and I love them, and they are precious to me, they are special to me. In Genesis chapter 5, when he wraps up his creation narrative in referring to men and referring to women, he says, they're all created in my image. God loves Himself. God has a very high view of Himself. And He says, I created men, and I created women, and I created them in my image. I love them, and I elevate them. I applaud the uniqueness. I applaud them. And it stands out just right here in 13 to 18 where He talks about wisdom. It's also interesting that in Proverbs you'll see this theme of, of the wise woman and then the straying woman or the loose woman. And he, he gives that comparison. It's interesting, Solomon, in, in writing Proverbs, in that time, goddess worship was so large in the East. And it was such a focal point that he says, I want to compare the goddess worship to the godly woman. And he goes through and he does that. In the next slide, it says, God exalts, and this I just, I had to write, because there's so much. There's a bunch of references written down there where God talks about the woman in Proverbs and how he applauds her. I wrote, God exalts the woman in Proverbs as she supports her husband, her family, her business, her personal influence, her creativity, all of these references, her beauty and her sexuality for her husband, her spiritual upbringing for her children, her counseling, her friendships, her prophetic role, her wealth, her power, her discipline, and life-giving words. Just in, just in one book of the Bible, how God elevates the role of women in the world. It's beautiful. And, and the principle is pursue wisdom in the form of God's loving correction. In those sections of verses, pursue wisdom in the form of God's loving correction. When God corrects us, it's so loving, it's so gentle, it's so guiding. It starts off, you want to have the blessed life? Pursue a loving, corrective relationship with God. In verses 23 through 26, it says, then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked. For when it comes, the Lord will be your confidence and keep your foot from being caught. It's interesting that he says there some very encouraging or almost comforting words. He says, then you'll walk securely. Say, okay, 
I like that. I want to walk securely. I want to not be afraid. I want to sleep. When we go about our daily life as these principles of God become more and more a part of our daily life, our path gets straighter, our path gets smoother. And as we pursue the wisdom of God, we say, man, I could have gone this way. But thank goodness, the Holy Spirit was just nudging me of, make this decision or don't make that decision. And I'm sure if you were to look back on your life, there were times you say, yeah, the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And I ignored it. And, uh, boy, that was a mistake. And there's other times where we say, man, the Holy Spirit was really leading me. And, and I followed that. And I am so glad that I did because I could have fallen in such disaster. It's interesting that he says, where did it go? That we won't be afraid. Our sleep will be sweet. We won't be afraid of what we see of those around us. Sleep can be taken from us through worry, through stress. And it's interesting, it says, pursuing godly wisdom provides peaceful sleep, provides peaceful rest. And one of the things that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy is a lot of times our sleep. It's interesting that he brings that out. The next section, it's interesting there that the, the, the foot, it, it references the, your foot from being caught, your foot from being snared. Satan doesn't really want us to break our leg, break our ankle. He just wants us to start stumbling. And he wants us to stumble from the path. And then he wants us to, to stray from the path. And then he wants to finally enslave us. He says, keep your foot from being caught. Think of a snare. He says, I want to get you off the path. I want you to start stumbling away from your relationship with God. And then I'm going to snare you. Pursuing godly wisdom can keep us from being enslaved from self-destructive ways. It says, then you'll be safe. It's interesting, it says, for the Lord will be your confidence. And we're going into a whole new year. Everybody's so much more cautious this year. It's like, this is going to be my year. We don't hear that a whole lot. We're like, this is going to be a year. Uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, that type of thing. But he says, I will give you confidence. Pursuing God in His wisdom provides Godfidence. It says the more, we, the more we pursue knowledge, God's knowledge, the more we pursue wisdom, God's wisdom, we're also being an imitator of God. God is the creator and possessor of all wisdom and knowledge, and the more we pursue Him, the more we pursue His Word, the more we're becoming an imitator of Him, and it provides Godfidence. Proverbs 3.33. It's interesting that he brings out cursing and blessing. And you'll come across this in your reading today. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. 
God has created all universal natural laws. He's created all moral and spiritual laws. And as a result of creating all of those laws, he's also created the consequences as well. If we were to go stand on a 30-story building and play jump, there's a, there's a law that God created called gravity. Our body cannot absorb such gravity. Not only did he create the law, but he also created the consequence as well. That's true for everything, moral, spiritual, physical. He says the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. But he also created blessing as well. So many times we, 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 we hear Christianity or God or the Bible is, is, a, is a book of negatives or is a book of just don'ts. It's a beautiful book of do's. It's a beautiful book of blessings. And, and he lays out there's a blessing for the dwelling of the righteous. And the word that's used there for dwelling can be correlated to um, Psalm 23 with the, with the pastures and the shepherd and the sheep and the peaceful meadow. And, and one of those paintings that you look at and say, I could live there. I don't know what I would do, but it looks just so relaxing and so nice and, and peaceful. And for some of us, we may look at our home and say, mm, kind of is more like the cursed side. It's, it's not peaceful. It's not, it's not enjoyable. It's got stress. It's got drama. It's got trauma. It's not what I would like it to be. The word dwelling there, he says, your home can be a place of blessing and, and peace and rest and love, being guided by the Good Shepherd. It, it, it's possible. And the idea of, of blessing is, is, the, is the picture of God kneeling down, reaching down, and just gently sprinkling these blessings upon your home, upon the members of your home, upon your family. And again, it goes back to, to Genesis chapter 5 when he talks about uh, the man and the woman, and he says, I've made you in my image. It's that tender type of relationship and connection that, that your family, regardless of their ages, regardless of how far apart they may now live from each other, he says, this is possible for your home. This is possible for your family. I bless the home of the righteous. And, and sometimes it may be 75 years of the first part of the verse and then just two years of the blessing part. And it's true of God that He can take what the enemy has stolen for so long and He can replace it. And what God can do in a moment, the enemy cannot even come close to destroy in a lifetime. He says, I've got blessing for the dwelling of the righteous. The principle, it's possible for a family to be intimately blessed by God regardless of the members' ages. The next section, Proverbs 3, 1-6. through 6. We're almost done. Stay with me. They don't give me a clock because I tell them not to. I'm sorry. 
in verses 1 through 6. This is where a lot of times the, the, the message, I have no idea if I'm in the frame or not. Everybody at home, I'm sorry, I'm trying to stand still, but uh, I, I don't do it well. Uh, I will try. In verses 1 through 6, you say, oh man, if that's possible, how do I get to this point of being blessed? How do I get to this point of my family and my home being restored? What do I do? And we start off, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. I've got, I've got kids that are, that are 1, 7, 9, 11, and 14. All of our kids are either odd or they're even. And we're going into the even time, and hopefully that'll be, a, that'll be easier. Uh, but they, they all start to click into the, they're always uh, either odd or they're even. And I never tell my kids, oh, I, I told you this, if it's something I've never said. They say, okay, look both ways when you cross the street. You're in a parking lot. There's other phrases that I, that I tell them, but th those are just the two we'll focus on now. I say it over and over again, because I want them to remember it. And when he says, don't forget my teaching, it is the understanding. I've said this a lot. And, and that's what the author here is saying. Don't forget, because I've said this so much. Don't forget my teachings. Don't forget my commands. I've said it so many times. You can't forget. It's also interesting to note that he says, don't forget my teaching. Don't forget my commands. The author is associating God's word, God's truth, God's principles so closely to himself. It's become a part of his day-to-day -day life. It's become a part of who he is. It's second nature. It's how he views decisions. It's how he views the world that he says, God's word is, is, is so, so close to me. Don't forget my commands. Don't forget my teachings. Say, how do I get that blessed family? How do I get that blessed life? How do I get to be not afraid? How do I get Godfidence? It's that continuous absorption and repetition and study and pursuit of God and His Word. From Genesis to Revelation, God, I want to understand you. I want to understand your Word. But he lays it out. This is a frequent conversation. The next section, he says, keep. Don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commands. And we're like, okay, keep. I'm doing a great job of that. I've got seven Bibles on the shelf. I've got one in my phone. And I, I think I just looked at the app. There's like 2,000 versions in the Bible app. Like, God, I'm doing a great job. I'm keeping it. Keeping it close, I'm keeping it in my pocket. It's not the Word. The, the Word is that of a watchman on the guard tower during a time of war at night. That is the way he says, keep my Word, study it, guard it, protect it. We are at war with an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And his first location is our home and our closest relationships. You look at the first couple chapters of Genesis after the fall, and you see the family utterly destroyed. Imagine Adam and Eve having to go home 
And look at their son who took their son's life. That relationship with Cain is utterly destroyed. And he says, keep my commands as a watchman on the wall at night during wartime. Are we guarding God's word that close? Are we pursuing God and his wisdom that aggressively? It's interesting in verse 33 where it talks about a curse. Satan knows God is the creator of all laws, all blessings, and all cursings. And if he can get us to voluntarily break God's laws, moral, universal, physical, spiritual, he knows that God will be faithful and just to provide those loving consequences, that cursing. His main goal is to get us on the opposite side of God. Keep the commands. The next one in verse... Um, in uh, the next verse, it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Are we making God's word a part of our daily life? Are we making it a part of our thought process? Are we making it a part of how we view our decision making? He says, write them, bind them. It also has the idea of enjoy the moment. Think if you were a looking at a beautiful waterfall. And you've never seen anything so, so massive, so beautiful, so wonderful. You can play this or that. Be like waterfall, ocean, mountains, whatever. Whatever your nature scene is that you would just look and be like, wow, that is amazing. It is that idea that we look at God's commands and we're just like, wow, it's so beautiful that we're just trying to take it in. Not just that we're just trying to follow God's laws, but that we're, we're just absorbing His nature. God, I just want to know You more. I, I want to pursue You more. And then he lays it out in the next section, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the same word that is used there for favor is the same word that is used in Luke 2.52 where it talks about Jesus. Jesus grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. The way we grow closer to God, the way we apply His, His word to our lives, the way we view our past, the way we view our future, the way we view our present becomes so attractive to those around us. This, I just want to be around you. I just want to, I don't know how you handled that heartbreak. I, I don't know how you had that wisdom and that decision. I just, I just want to be around you. I, I just want to be in your presence. The idea of favor and again, the idea of good success. You think of, think of Joseph, think of David, think of Daniel. It's not, okay, I'm just going to follow God and everything's going to be great. It's all going to be easy and wonderful. If we think of Joseph, ended up in a pit, ended up in prison, not so great. David, his family turned on him, had to pretend he was crazy and go to the home of Goliath. And look, 
I don't want to repeat that. And then you think of Daniel's, Daniel himself and, and what he had to go through. And then you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're set on fire and thrown in a pit. And the people are trying to throw them in the pit, die on the way. At that point, you're like, so if I'm here, I'm dead. If I'm, if I'm here, you can't come get me. I'll just stay here for a while. No, they, sorry, sidetrack. They knew the risk. They knew the danger. They knew what they were getting into. Life is messy. But if we pursue God, we can expect favor from God and others, and we can expect that God will make our paths straight despite everything that is going on. The more we pursue God, the more we will be given divine direction. We're almost done. The next one. It says, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. What does it mean to trust? The word acknowledge, just highlight the word know in that word. You want to trust God, it means know God. If we want to trust Him, we've got to know Him. We can't lean on our own understanding and say, okay, God, I'm going to try and help you along here. It didn't work out well for Abraham and Hagar. Say, I'm not going to help God along. God, I am going to trust you, and I'm going to know you, and I'm going to allow you to do the work. I am going to boldly trust you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I am going to boldly trust you, even though there's risks, even though there's consequences, even though, there, even though I live in a sinful world. It may not go perfect all the time. The other piece there on the next one is, he'll make your path straight. Not only does Satan want us to fall under God's cursing. He wants to, to distract us. Remember the, the, the verse that talked about the, our snaring our foot? It says, if I pursue God, he will make my path straight. There's one time I was taking Tyler home. My GPS was screwed up. We took the longest, craziest way home. I've never seen these parts of Sacramento. We were like, where in the world are we? It was not the most direct route. It says, the more we pursue God, the more we trust God, He will make our paths straight, which means He will make our life the most efficient use of life there is. Satan wants to waste our life. He wants to make it... He wants us to look back and say, man, if I had just changed this, I could have saved so much time. And we can't focus on that. We can repent of it, and God, help me never to make those same decisions. He says, the more we trust God, He'll make our paths straight. Our life will be of efficient use of time in glorifying Him. The principle, to be blessed by God, we must know God. There's a list of the principles here. Worship God through giving as an imitator of our giving God. Pursue wisdom in the form of God's loving correction. Pursue God and His wisdom provides confidence. It's possible for a family to be intimately blessed by God regardless of the members' ages. To be blessed by God, we must know God. And the question is, do you know God? The most important question we can have with ourselves and with God is, God, if I was to die right now, am I going to wake up and see you face to face? It says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's okay to sometimes go back and say, God, I've been wondering for a while. If I was to die right now, 
Would I spend eternity with you? And we have to ask ourselves that. God, am I pursuing a relationship with God as a savior from my sins? All of us have sinned, and we're so good at admitting that. <laughs> I've made mistakes. I will quickly admit that. I will not admit to what they are, but I've made mistakes. I've sinned. God, I'm a sinner. And we can get there. But sometimes we stop and say, I will get good. Rather than saying, I will get God. Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. You died on the cross for me. Your death, your burial, your resurrection is enough to pay for all of my sins. Path, present, and future. Will you save me? And that's the ABC prayer that we have. I admit that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I commit my life to follow God. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If not, where you are, where you are watching, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to spend eternity with you, and I want to spend the rest of my life committed to following you. You can do that wherever you are. This week's big challenge is very simple, and it follows right along the Proverbs a Day Challenge. Join the Proverbs a Day Challenge. It's going to be in the comments in this message. Uh, you can sign up for it in the Bible app and see people's comments and the connection question and everything. Proverbs a Day. Pursue God's wisdom. Let's pray.